I think we should end there. Uh, and then I got to think of something funny to close. So wait one second. Uh, I'm just writing something funny. And then it will be, it will play off of gamers. <laughs> Let me see. Okay. And with that, I'm just, I'm just typing out loud. Um, some sort of communist joke. What, what would I say? And then with that, we <laughs> seize, uh, we end the means of this production. Remember, gamers, to rise up <laughs> against the oppressive normies. It's true. And, uh, up to no good. dystopia. Today's episode, we discuss the rise of socialism in the United States and the world. If you follow right-wing media, the United States has elected multiple socialists as presidents already, including notable Marxist, Muslim atheist, Barack Hussein Obama. Following his lead after Trump was only just starting to make America great again, the Democrats have come in with their second socialist in the White House, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. And with all seriousness, Aside, we uh, introduce today's guest, who's an internet philosopher and gamer from my Discord. Yeah, I'm an anarchist from uh, out of the Northeast. Um, been at it like uh, almost 10 years now. Um, got heavily involved uh, in uh, the New York City occupation during Occupy Wall Street. Uh, got out there very early on, uh, took some central roles. Um, yeah, as I guess we can talk about uh, all sorts of. Uh, Socialist things that are going on in the U.S., uh, some less-than-socialist things that are going on in the U.S., uh, some fake socialist things that are going on in the U.S. There's, all, there's a whole mess of stuff. It's, it's great. Perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. So Jack also doesn't know who I am too well either. And, of course, there's also Bruno and, and uh, Alejandra, who he, he completely doesn't know. So I'll intru- we'll, we should introduce ourselves, potentially. Uh, and and I, I, the audience probably doesn't know who we are either. <laughs> so... Uh, so I'm Antonio. I live in California, and that's all the information I'll disclose on the podcast in case, like, the CIA is uh, is uh, <laughs> coming after me. Yeah, I'm Bruno. I'm I have a, I'm an undergraduate in international relations, and I'm doing right now a master's degree on international security and defense. Yeah, I think it's pretty much talks of, says a lot about me. So. I really enjoy talking about this thing. Uh, socialism has been a, a hot topic here in Brazil because, I mean, our president, Bolsonaro, believes there is the ghost of socialism, the communists haunting him everywhere he goes. It would be an interesting conversation. To I guess it's my turn. Hi, I'm Alejandra. I'm currently based in LA. Um, I'm originally from Peru, but now I live here. 
and I actually just graduated from NYU where I studied so sociology and journalism. Um, I just have like a huge passion for international relations and like politics, so that's why I joined. Great, and uh, so Jack, before we begin, we like to start with a dumb question. Uh, and I, then I usually follow with a, se a series of several more dumb questions. So here's right, your right. dumb question. So Jack, one thing that I didn't introduce about you, uh, or I did actually, is that you are a gamer. So <laughs> Jack, as a gamer, what is your opinion on the current state of oppression amongst gamers right now? Is this is this something that that tears at your at your soul like it does mine, Jack? Um, well, I, I mean, one one thing we all know about is the uh, army, the U.S. Army's foray into esports, um, and our rights as gamers are being trampled by this. Uh, you're not able to uh, redress the government for concerns. You can't can't ask them what their favorite war crime is. You can't ask them, you know, what how do you sleep at night? They they don't want to hear these kind of questions, and it's it's fundamentally uh, just a full on assault on uh, gamerdom, you know. Excellent. So, so you've heard it here, folks. Gamers need to rise up. Is is pretty much Jack's opinion on it. Okay. <laughs> that that is definitely how you could characterize it. Yes. <laughs> okay. Perfect. And, and then I'll ask a, a real question. So, uh, so Jack, you uh, are an anarchist. Uh, how did you? How did you come whoa, to whoa, this? Whoa! 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 Sorry. He's an anarchist or a socialist? I don't He's know. He's an anarchist. Uh, I'm a libertarian socialist. Okay. 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 Libertarian Platformist specifically, if yes. it matters, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he puts the word socialist in part of his identity, which is a pretty 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 radical for most of Americans at this point. I would say outside of the major cities, but he, in a major city, uh, how, so how did you come across this I, this political view, Jack? What 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 compelled you to become a, a libertarian socialist? Um. Well. So, uh, sometime around uh, high school, when I was in high school, um, I got into a lot of socialist literature and types of things. Um, somewhat considered myself a Trotskyist at the time. Uh, I got somewhat into that. Didn't get recruited into any of their orgs or anything. Uh, lived too far away from any of them. Uh, and then eventually ran into um, Emma Goldman's uh, My uh, Disillusionment in Russia, uh, which is a fantastic uh, book. Um, and it really was a personal tale about like the failures and limitations of the Soviet government and state socialism in general. Um, and it was, and that really like set me off, and that like got me pushed in the right direction. Uh, and from there, I uh, just kind of got involved in lots of different things. Uh, at one point, I was uh, <laughs> I was actually administrator of the uh, Reddit. <laughs> at one point. Uh, so been been through all sorts of different parts of the movement. Um, it's been uh, it's been good. Um, things have definitely changed over the over the years. Um, early on, uh, there was like an attempt to like characterize all anarchists as white kind of thing. There was like a whole race element going on. Uh, ironically, now um, it's harder and harder to find non people of color anarchists uh, because it's just become less of a trend. So people are, who are falling into this kind of more or less organically instead of like some kind of uh, any social impetus um, it's changed the demographics a little bit, um, which has been good. It's been good for anarchism. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so th those are, yeah, those are some, some of that. No. Yeah. 
that's that's uh i mean here in brazil we have something called the caviar left i mean yeah it's caviar left uh would be in portuguese would be esquerda caviar which like um this white champagne socialism yeah something like this uh so like uh, these people especially from the new left uh with especially white and and i mean well educated and they do not talk to the lower classes so i mean uh socialism in brazil has been uh these days is not so much like this because i mean there's been affirmative policy policies in brazil which is allowed black people and lower classes to get into university but mm-hmm. this but this picture of a uh, caviar left it's still going on which is mean like a a a, a huge uh, argument used by the reactionary right in brazil uh their other name they call this 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 spectrum of politics which is like a iphone owner socialist which be like uh yeah you're a socialist but you're enjoying the benefits of the of the capitalist system so you're not like a, a valid enough to talk about social inequalities because you take profit of this whole system that generates these structures which oppresses other people but the created by the bourgeoisie because they're part right and it's and it's and it's highly ironic because uh one of the main critiques at least here in the US that gets thrown about uh is you know identity politics they accuse the left of constantly and this and what you're telling me sounds like directly like standpoint theory uh where they're like you need to be the poorest of the poor to have some kind of identity yeah. or to have some kind yeah, of resistance yeah. or some yeah. like uh legitimacy or whatever yeah yeah it's 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 a, it's a wild it's a wild thing to see inverted no yeah and i mean the i i'm not here to i mean because you're the person which i mean you're the focus today so i'm not here to discuss if it's right or wrong personally i think it's a wrong argument because i mean as i said that doesn't make sense at all because not because oh yeah I mean, exactly it doesn't mean i mean uh i mean if if, if we could like uh take Karl Marx as the point of reference to socialism he never said that nobody could like have even he said that capitalism is good to to increase production wealthness but and wealthness but uh, in the end of the day the the system corrupts itself so things get messy and i mean i think he was not against production technology and the benefits of the capitalism the industrial type of production but i but i mean it was against the concentration of income and uh, all the political structures well i i don't know that i would characterize people. him as against those things as much as seeing them as necessary to be destroyed but he also saw them as necessary prerequisites for the development of socialism um which is a 
big problem in uh, Marxist uh, ideology, in my opinion. Um, the like historical determinism element, where this is like the historical necessity and role of the working class, a very specific understanding of the working class at this time, which of course has evolved nowadays. Um, but I, I would I wouldn't like even begin to claim that he was actually advocating the working class take over anything, but. Um, I, I would say that yeah, there's a, yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing where we've lost a lot of knowledge because people just kind of like skim this stuff. It's really wild. Um, <laughs> like yeah, Mark sings the praises of uh, of capitalism as raising uh, wages in all sorts of places, but that's only because of you know it's it's change because of its motivations and changing the feudal relationship and bringing about the like basis of liberalism, um, which I think honestly is the is the core problem that the left hasn't dealt with is finally finishing the liberal project that was started by the French Revolution. Um, we've always failed to meet that meet those goals, even as like um, e even in our most successful moments, really. Um, and so I think I think that's like definitely important to talk about. Yeah. It doesn't invalidate you as a as a socialist or, or Marxist or uh, person on the on the left because it was I think Marx himself that was largely from a well-off ilk who was uh, high, you know highly educated I think his his parents were uh, professors if, I, if I'm not mistaken one of his parents was a professor um, and, uh, so I think that that Marx is you know it, ultimately that's just invalidating people's identities, which I think is uh, irrelevant to the actual to the actual uh, arguments. I think that when, and then the criticisms of capitalism. A lot about Marx that like I would encourage everyone like even if you're not like you don't consider yourself in the left to just like go read Marx because like he has like really interesting analysis of like capital in general like even beyond just like agreeing or disagreeing with his like beliefs like he just does a great job in analyzing how like economy works and how it influences politics so yeah i would just encourage everyone to go read him because i don't know he's a required reading for any sociology major and i feel like everyone to be honest should be reading his work yes i agree i'm actually reading uh Capital Volume One. That's uh, that's the book I'm yes. currently reading. It's very long. It's like, oh yes. my god, so long. <laughs> so I can be, a, I can actually be a one, a, not be a poser. Uh, so, uh, so is Joe Biden a socialist, uh, Jack? And and if so, what what do we have to fear? What, what do we all have to fear? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if the country can survive without any malarkey. A federal ban on malarkey might be extremely dangerous. I'm not sure we can go cold turkey on the malarkey. Um, you know, that's that's my real worry about any about any Bidenist socialism that might come about. Where where am I going to get my malarkey? You know, um, yeah. The end of the day it's all about that malarkey you know we must seize the the means of malarkey okay perfect that's true and so 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 to go to go out biden a little bit more in depth um are there any cabinet picks that stand out to you that maybe you'd like to complain about um uh, maybe I, I know janet yellen was a positive 
you know, a positive. For me, so a lot of people don't don't agree with that, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I I definitely am a fan of the Yellen pick because it's a um, so so she was picked for uh, Treasury. She's a former uh, uh, Federal Reserve Chair. Um, she's kind of, she's an institutional leftist. So in, in, in left is a strong word. She's she is in the left grouping of the Democratic Party that is for the institutionalization like there's kind of this is kind of like the emerging uh categorization that's out there is like institutional democrats and non-institutional democrats like people writing the bernie wave and other things fall in this non-institutional wave um so she's not like an exciting pick by a lot of means but they managed to not pick a fucking goldman sachs banker for once <laughs> you know um and that's a huge change um even from just like the obama era um not having a Timothy Geichner like in the Treasury is going to be a big change for this recovery that's going to happen. Okay, um, as for negative uh, secretary picks, um, I'd say it'd be hard to do worse than elevating Neera Tandon higher than she currently is. It's uh, it's a disgrace. Um, she's just not a nice person. I don't know why we reward that. Um, could you go for into further detail? She she does lead the Center for American Progress, if I'm not mistaken. So what is it if she does lead the center? Why is it that this is a bad thing? What don't is in progress? So the Center for American Progress is an interesting org. Um, they build themselves as somewhat progressive. Uh, they actually killed their uh, progressive news outlet in the last few years. Uh, Think Progress, um, partially due to unionization. Um, of the workers there. Um, so they killed that outlet completely, partially because of the editorial line, partially because of the uh, labor relations. Um, and yeah, and so they really have it out for pretty much everyone on the left. Uh, Neera Tandon has come for, has come after Bernie, has come after fans of Bernie, have she, and she makes it personal. Whenever she goes into these kinds of attacks, she gets real personal. It's, it's a real bloodbath. So it's really the kind of like when these people go around talking about norms and civility, it's like, well, why are you bringing this like real vicious lady into government then? Like what, is, what, is, what kind of norms and civility is that? You know, she is not the fan of the Bernie bros. Uh, you would say, okay, interesting. Uh, definitely not. Yeah. Definitely like a cultural opposite more or less. Um, are there any other cabinet members that stand out to you? I know that there was a, uh, defense. The, the he was an African American choice uh, for the Department of Defense. I forget his name. Yeah, uh, I'm not super people... familiar with him. Yeah. Okay, not familiar with him. I think that he was. Uh... I the one other one that I can speak to for sure is uh, Buttigieg uh, being oh. uh, placed as the Department of Trans uh, Transportation, and that one is interesting. I'm definitely not a fan of Buttigieg in any way. But this might be an interesting way to keep him out of the national spotlight because um, I'm not sure that this is a stepping stone or that he will be able to use it in any way to further his career. This might be the end of his career, which would be great. That's that that would be perfect if, if he's just DOT head and then just gone. That would be absolutely excellent. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's mostly wishful thinking, but it's also like, at least he's not, you know, DNC chair or something. Um, it could be a lot worse. Excellent, excellent. Why don't you like him? So, oh yeah, you know, let's talk about, yeah, 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 sure, we can go back on. So one of the big things is, um, 
he's a really bad representative of the gay community. Um, as, as a gay person myself, uh, he's does not represent our community in any way. Um, he's a racist. Uh, he, he led lots of resistance to police reforms when he was mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He removed uh, safe school crossings and actually had a, a student was killed under his watch um, by uh, oncoming traffic uh, trying to go to school one day. And yeah, so it's, it's very ironic in a deeply perverse way to put him at, uh, at transport, but I also would fear him being placed anywhere else in the Democratic Party apparatus. Um, so it may be a good, it may be a good thing in terms of minimization of harm, uh, but it's it's definitely concerning. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, uh, then, uh, because I, I, I'm 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 asking you this because in Brazil, uh, the way that probably I don't know if it's the same in the US, probably not. But the way that these American candidates are nominees to the presidential election is kind of, uh, okay, there is this major broadcaster here in Brazil, it's called Hedge Global, I think it's the third or the second biggest broadcast in the world. So they are more like pro-Democrats than Republicans. They do not say that, but the way they portray it, it's, it's, it's kind of explicit to know what they're in favor of. So, uh, okay, we got the, in, in the Democrat nominees, we got the Bernie, I mean, the major ones, Bernie, Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Buttigieg. Is that how it's pronounced? It? Well, more or less, uh, I think. Um, okay, Mayor Pitt, the Mayor Pitt. Okay, <laughs> uh, and I mean, he, he, Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden first was like renegated. But uh, um, Mayor Pitt and Bernie Sanders was like, uh, especially Mayor Pitt was very it was portrayed as a like a new generation of people come to politics and <clears throat> how they how how the fact of he being gay and polyglot and I mean open minded it would be good to banish this conservat conservatism and and reactionary politics brought by I, I, I think I want to so stop you right there because I think I think it leads into a great point here because I, I it's very it, it, it's very easy to turn this around um, so you, you mentioned he's a polygot there's there's a reason he is and that's because he was a CIA operative he worked for McKinsey he had a posting at some point in Somalia uh, and it's it's ridiculous he's a he's you know he's a he's a foot soldier in the American army it's more or less uh, been his entire thing um what was actually quite funny he actually took a break from being mayor to serve in the army uh just to build up his credentials at one point um but yeah go ahead, continue um, i guess like if we keep talking about some major figures in the democratic party i wanted to know your opinion like the most prominent like democratic socialists that we have like for instance like aoc she has been re-elected and so what do you think about her and like yeah, like the other politicians that are part of the DSA. Um, I think AOC's got an interesting position currently where she's got, she's a lot has been put on her shoulders. Um, and I, I don't know if you heard, but she's planning on retiring, actually, um, not running again, potentially. Um, 
And I'm a little concerned by that um, because of like, a, just like if we're just going to churn through things, it really makes the concerns about putting energy into electoralism uh, come forward. Because if, you, if we're putting in a, tons and tons and tons of energy on these singular individuals and then they either burn out or they don't get elected or some scandal happens or God forbid they get assassinated or something, then we're out of, then we've, then we've wasted all of this time potentially. And so I get, I get a little concerned that we're getting really invested in electoralism on the left. Um, especially with, uh, the way the DSA has inflated over the years and its membership, um, which is good for the left in general, but it's a little concerning because, uh, a lot of the, the DSA kind of is like a amorphous, uh, non-directional federa federation of these little locals that have all of their own politics and things. Um, so I, I'm really, I don't think it's much of a way forward. Um, I'm interested to see what she can do, um, but it, it, it feels like there's a real limit and uh, hoping that she will somehow just magically overcome it, um, I don't think is possible. Um, I, I don't have super um, big issues with her, uh, her voting record or anything. There's a lot of people who have gotten very antsy about the particulars of different votes, and I, I honestly don't really care. Um, She's uh, the only the only um, very important upsetting kind of action from anyone on the squad really was the um, the vote against recognizing the Armenian genocide um, by the uh, congresswoman from Michigan. I cannot remember her name right now, though. Uh, uh, Ilhan Omar. Yes. Yes. And Rashida she, Tlaib. Yeah, um, it, it was it was Ilhan Omar was the only was yeah. the only one to vote against. Uh, Talib did not vote against. Um, she was the only one in the entire Congress to vote against it, I believe, actually, um, and which is a little concerning, given her relationship with uh, Turkey. Um, she's had some uh, welcoming overtures from Erdogan um, in the past and things. I, uh, I would I would I would like to shift the discussion away, maybe. Uh, to a different topic, and we were discussing this earlier, Jack. How do we fix? How should the U.S. handle the, co the coronavirus economically? You think you are? So I have some, I have some idea. spicy ideas. Yeah, I have some spicy ideas on this. Um, economics is a big interest of mine, um, especially the political economy and such. Um, so one of the things I think. Um, that's been wild so far is the commitment of the Federal Reserve to firm and large and massive stimulus. And that they went so far as to openly state that they don't care about the, the deficit anymore. I mean, like they didn't, they never really did, but they, you know, that was mostly a canard that the conservatives would bring up every once in a while. But like the Federal Reserve was like, we're okay with spending for the first time. They're openly saying we're going to spend. And, um, and they're really, and they're, and they also have said that if the Congress can't meet meet the demands for stimulus, that they will meet the demands for stimulus. There, there's been talk of them buying uh, municipal bonds, which would be amazing. Um, it's one of the things that is desperately needed to help uh, the localities and cities and states and whatnot that are having extreme budgetary stress right now. Um, there's only a few states in the U.S. that are like completely solvent right now. Um, a lot of them have huge debt obligations, um, including California. Uh, there's, and all of their transportation networks are 
desperately needing uh, investment. There's a lot of been a lot of talk in the transit circles that I have friends in about about the uh, the deal and exactly what's going to get funded and what isn't. Um, with the, with the current uh, relief bill that's uh, being discussed in Congress right now. Um, so, yeah, one of the things I think can be done um, because of some of this, some of these changes, some of those big changes is I want to see um, strong, dramatic action towards uh, on monetary policy. I want to see um, like one policy that I think <laughs> it's a little it's a little dramatic, um, but it's something I call the reverse Stalin. Um, so back in like the near the end of Stalin's uh, era, they the Soviet economy was in shambles, and the value of their currency was dropping dramatically. One of the things they ended up doing was uh, taking everyone's bank balances and removing some zeros. <laughs> to uh, revalue the currency all in one fell swoop. What I want to see is people adding zeros to bank accounts. Like, I don't want to see checks going out. I want to see just people automatically getting money. It, like, it's the, the failure of the checks to actually materialize for so many people and to be grabbed at by exploitative, um, like, uh, finance tech things. Like, there were these, um, like, Cash App was trying to get people to deposit their stimulus checks directly into it. All sorts of, like, payday lenders would let you take out, like, uh, financial instruments against it. It was horrible. Um, There's tons of exploitation all across the board, and a lot of people didn't even get the stimulus. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I feel like there's a dramatic need for serious universal programs and serious financial movement that will uh, – movements as in like not, not not movements of people, but like policy, um, trying to get some mo money in the hands of people who will spend it. Because the thing is, a lot of stimulus and spending from Congress doesn't actually invigorate the economy much. Um, there's a lot of research on this about the velocity of money and then local spending and all sorts of things like that. Um, but the, fa the simple fact of the matter is if you give rich people money, the best they might do is maybe buy another yacht, but they'll likely just save it all. Um, but if you give some poor people money, they're going to spend it immediately, and it's going to go into the economy, and it's going to go somewhere else, and it's going to pay somebody else, and and there will be taxes generated on it, and a bunch of other things. It's there has been a kind of retreat in the last like couple decades from like very vigorous monetary policy, and I'm glad that pretty much. A, Universally in the U.S., um, people are at least talking about these stim stimulus, even like the extremely conservative uh, president that we have outgoing, uh, Trump, is more or less for these um, not quite universal stimulus checks. Um, one of the one of the major drawbacks here is that um, uh, people of uh, uh, immigrants and people of uh, undocumented status cannot access these um even people with uh with documents and uh and everything are at risk of uh being declared a public charge if they if they take the money um which is a it's a it's a uh, trump uh policy that was uh, designed to remove um migrants that had uh, well not just migrants but like uh, people who were trying to immigrate to the united states who would use any social services in this country um, and it's a grotesque policy that prioritizes the rich over anyone else. Um, and I, I think that 
yeah, just broadening these programs into truly universal programs that go to every man, woman, and child um, in every in every city in America would be extremely beneficial. Um, yeah, and I and I think that can power the recovery. I also think um, that if like if it comes down to it, I don't see a reason not to just roll the stock market back to February. Um, it's not unheard of. Um, it's, it would be very dramatic, the time period difference here, but I think that would deal with a lot of the problems that people have around uh, congressional investing that happened during the COVID, um, like the, while the information was slowly coming out, but they had a lot more information than the general public did. Um, I think that might be one way to address that. Um, it's That's far more dramatic than the other policy I was uh, suggesting, which is already dramatic, but at the end of the day, um, all of these systems are something that we can change, um, and money's just a number that we assign value to. Uh, so we really are the masters of our own destiny here, um, and we don't have to simply surrender to existing economic theories and policies. So TLDR, let that money printer go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, I, I, if you if you need a if you need like a good defense of this, there's a modern monetary theory out there, which kind of explains some of how massive states like the United States don't have real debt constraints on printing money. Um, and so, yeah, there there's some there there's there's theoretical backing, and there's also some like serious rigorous economics out there if you if you want to go look for them. Uh, uh, David Graeber was a big booster of the of these kinds of theories. Oh. And that's this will lead to my last question, I think, and we can tie it also to other countries as well. Um, how does the U.S. begin to build a kind of more favorable perspective on socialism and 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 more kind of socialist policies when so many people seem to be really against it in like an identitarian kind of way? How do we destigmatize this? Yeah, people definitely, we're still seeing the aftershocks of the Cold War's propaganda efforts on on besmirching communism, socialism in any state of any variety, authoritarian or not, libertarian or not. They, they see it all the same. Um, I, I'm not sure that the word socialism can be reclaimed necessarily, uh, as much as it might be good to. Um, I, I don't think... I think where we're going to see the change is going to be in communities on the margins. Uh, like we're seeing conservative farming towns open up uh, cooperative food stores out of pure necessity. But these people are doing very well once they do this. Uh, there have been uh, – there's also been – another another interesting bit of uh, like farming community stuff around this is there was <laughs> – uh, out in the American West, there's a um, – there are some uh, Anabaptist uh, groups uh, that live rather communally, um, and this made a lot of the of their neighbors upset because they were like, "Well, they're not paying their taxes," and they were. They just were distributing their income across their across their membership, um, so they didn't pay exorbitant, massive uh, rates on land taxes or anything like that. And they were simply making more money than the uh, small hold farmers that were working completely in a capitalist paradigm. Uh, and they, they were like, this is unfair. This is un-American. <laughs> and it was uh, – and, it, it, and so I think there's going to be kind of a switch where services and 
other things aren't viewed as drains, but as the requirements to keep these kinds of communities afloat. Um, if they want to exist at all, because otherwise they're looking at complete destruction. Definitely there are parallels with that and then the broader country as a whole, I would say, as well. We're looking at otherwise complete destruction if we don't. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Reforms. So I'll tie this again with Bruno. He wanted to bring this to, to Brazil because there are some similarities with, with Bolsonaro as well as Trump. Um, I, Bruno, isn't it true that uh, a lot of people on the Brazilian right kind of demonize socialism as communism or any kind of left-wing things as communism? Can you, can you kind of elaborate on that? No, yeah, okay. Uh, it's all started in... Uh, okay, let me try to bring this thing back. During the last decade, Brazil was governed by the Labour Party, like the Brazilian Labour Party, which is called here... Uh, the worker parties, the workers' parties. So the great leaders of this worker party was like uh, socialists in this, in those origins. I mean, I mean, and socialist, uh, socialist in a capitalist way of saying, like more dedicated to social politics, development, and I mean social equality would be like this. It's not like a take all the means of productions or destroy private property or even as, as the French says, epatela bourgeoisie, like a smash the bourgeoisie. So it's nothing like this. So and this government was very progressive in, in social aspects, especially because Brazil is a very racist country, very machist country. I think it's a country which like uh, with the, the biggest killer of transsexual people in the world. So it was kind of a wild place for minorities. So so those governments was trying to create uh, how can I say it? Uh, inclusive laws and uh, affirmative policies. So. And okay, Brazil was going well in the government, especially because of the social politics and development and social and income sharing uh, policies because Brazil was passing through uh, the commodities boom in, during, uh, due to China growth. So Brazil is a great commodity export. So Brazil was like surfing this wave and our GDP was growing, and the economy is booming, and people are happy buying, consuming, and stuff. So, when the when this uh, commodity boom passed away, the Brazilian and not only this, but I mean, added to some wrong fiscal policies during this last the last government, uh, liberal government bad uh, political arrangements and stuff. The economy plummeted and, I mean, society was like a criticizing the government and, you know, all the mess when the country faced a crisis. So this Bolsonaro came, he was like an outsider. He was a long time in politics, uh, but he was an outsider. He was like a 
supporter or enthusiastic of the the dictatorship past the Brazil had in the 60s, 70s, and the beginning of 80s. So it's like bring this myth of in the Brazilian imaginative that he represents the military because he was like a, he was like formed uh, graduating the military academy. So <laughs> he brings all this Bra Brazilian imaginative that the army and the armed forces are like the they have they have hierarchy authority they will put the culture back in the trails so bolsonaro in the last elections they he rise up with this agenda and and fighting and using discourses um in favor of liberty of democracy western values and he will like banish the socialism spectrum that was surrounding brazil especially after this uh so-called socialist government from the labor party era so brazil got very bipolarized bipolarized that's what they were saying I don't know if it's correct. Okay, but I mean, uh, polarized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, polarized. Yeah, and so everybody, uh, everyone against Bolsonaro was considered communist, and, and and they say it's like a, yeah, they say like they were, they were reds, the commies and stuff, and everybody <laughs> against Bolsonaro uh, against PT, which the or the, the, work, party, the works party, right? Is <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was considered a fascist and a breed of the dictatorship or something like this. So Brazil was very polarized, and this the Bolsonaro Bolsonaro won and tried to carry this policy against socialism. They say the communists always behind the door and say that our flag is, is yellow and green and will never be red or something like this. So. Yeah, and uh, all the opposition against Bolsonaro was considered a left or commies. So I voted for a center, a center candidate was like, a, but they say everybody says she she's a, a communist even though she's not. <laughs> she's totally pro market. She's totally, I mean, I don't know. Just because she's like she's in favor of minorities and women and black people. They say she's a communist and socialist. She wants to bring <laughs> back. So, I mean, uh, Brazil is a very sad point. I Let me just interrupt. Is, does the left need a racist guy? Do we, do we need a racist Marxist guy? Like, is that? Oh, we've no, had so I many mean, of them. No, we oh, have yeah, had so many of them already. Yeah. We don't need more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. The, the president Lula. We need which, Joe Rogan. We need Joe Rogan, <laughs> but he needs to be racist, like more racist. And then we can, yeah, I think yeah. he can do it. Okay, uh, the, uh, the, form, the, the first Labour Party president, we call them Lula. It's well known as Lula. It's very matches, homophobic and racist. I mean, there's a bunch of videos of him mocking on gay people, mocking on black people, and saying there's atrocities, and people say he's a commie and stuff. So, I mean, racism and 
homophobia is not a is not a is is a thing from the Brazilian society. It's not from the left and right. So, I mean, Bolsonaro uses this this these words to create a discourse that he's pro-family, pro-Christian values, pro, pro all this type of crap, and <laughs> to to create like a, a new Brazil or probably like a bring Brazil back to the times of the order and and, and when times were men were men, women were women and and all this like a dictatorship and dictatorial times was like <clears throat> was like present here. So yeah and it's 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 a very sad situation because it mitigates the value and the content of the political debate because I mean if you're when you got polarized, I mean, there's no common ground on, on to people step on and like a, create a uh, opposition front to face Bolsonaro. And the left is totally confused, it's totally divided. And we have this like, a, it's like a Bernie Sanders from Brazil. His, his name is Guilherme Boulos. Uh, he's, he's from a, a party called the uh, socialist and liberty socialism party so and, but i mean the the old left the the how can i say the traditional left is against uh-huh. him so i mean but the new the the young people in youth are like a pro this guy so i mean the left doesn't doesn't know how to act but the right is totally cohesive uh-huh. under this bolsonaro umbrella and using fake news. I mean, as a Trump Trump strategy. And I mean, the president Bolsonaro called Joe Biden a socialist. They will bring like a communist back, something like this. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, those, yeah, those people are the same. Those one of the are- one of the interesting um, uh, differences between uh, Trump and Bolsonaro is that Trump took over an existing party and Bolsonaro brought his own, if I, if I recall correctly. Um, so it, it's interesting that he's going to be able to kind of like keep his political cohort going, um, whereas Trump has more or less put the, the Republican Party in jeopardy and they have to like find a new kind of thing um, because he, he's really fundamentally rejected um, this report that they made after, I believe it was the 2008 election, um, it, uh, it may have been before that, but they, they more or less uh, made this, uh, came to the conclusion that they needed to appeal to uh, Latina voter, Latinx voters and stuff, um, and that they needed to specific, because of uh, where like demographics are shifting in Texas and a couple other Southern states. Um, they wanted to tap into this kind of like uh, deeply social conservative kind of aspect uh, that exists there. Um, and that's, and they, they avoided that. They, they completely gave up on this with Trump. Um, and so they're, they're kind of like without a, um, they, they have like ideologies, but they don't have a platform. They don't they don't know what they're doing with their themselves. Uh, they do they do whip very well, like uh, you know control the votes. Um, uh, despite this, uh, so it, it's it's been interesting because there's we we expected um, 
the Republican Party to implode a lot more than it has. Um, a lot of institutional actors like uh, Lindsey Graham and uh, Chuck Grassley uh, are, are just are, are still around. Uh, so it's 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 been weird. Um, and with that, we end the means of this production. Remember, gamers, to rise up against the oppressive normies and Joe Biden with his anarcho-Bidenists. Uh, thank you so much, Jack. Until next time.